Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. I want to talk to you about unity, and I want to start uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. Most of us know already what I'm going to talk about. Most of us know we're supposed to do this. Today, simply a reminder. Amen? So Luke chapter 6, let's read it together, please. It says, Now it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer with God. It says, And when day came, he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17 says, And then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre Sidon. It says, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled by unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people who were trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Amen. All right. So context, picture what's happening. Obviously through the scripture, there's this larger crowd of disciples that's following Jesus pretty much everywhere he goes. And there comes a day where Jesus says, you know what, I need to get away from these people. I'm going to go on the mountaintop and I'm going to pray and seek the Father's will for my life. And while he's praying, the Father reveals to him that there's 12 of those men from that larger group of men that are supposed to follow him more closely. So what happens is he wakes up the next morning, calls everybody together, and he names the 12 of them. And he says, from now on, basically, this is what I'm inviting you into is to be with me daily. So they come off the mountain. What happens is, is obviously signs and wonders happen. And, and, and as cool as that is, here's the point that I want to make today is I think a lot of people read scriptures like that and they just mistakenly believe that from that point on, when Jesus said, one, two, three, 12, let's go, that all these 12 men got along great. Right? As if just because they followed Jesus, they lived in this conflict-free, Holy Spirit-saturated, goosebump-filled bubble, right, for the next three and a half years where all the 12 of these guys, they just laughed and, you know, grabbed each other, skipped along, right, and, and whatever, they sang songs and whatever, you know, I don't know, just traveled from city to city ministering to Jesus. But, but that's not what happened at all, Right? You see, sometimes I think we read about the miracles that took place, and we easily forget that these 12 guys didn't have the same background. They didn't have the, you know, loads in common, and they certainly didn't agree on everything. Right? The truth is they came from completely different backgrounds. We know this because theologians tell us that somewhere between four to seven of them were fishermen. We know that one of them was a despised tax collector. Right? One of them was a fanatical, you know, national, Jewish national. He was a zealot. Right? One of them came from a wealthy, if not a royal family, and the rest were kind of tradesmen of some sort. But, but the point is the Bible makes it really clear that, that these 12 dudes competed, jockeyed for position, fussed and fought, and struggled with unity a lot. Right In essence, once again, we can read this passage and and just read it and easily forget that these fellas had their fair share of misunderstanding and relational conflicts, even, even in the midst of walking with Jesus. See, there's verses that show us this, and let me just point out three quickly. Mark 9 says this, 
And they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house. And Jesus asked his disciples, hey, fellas, what were you discussing out on the road? It says, but they didn't answer. They hung their heads because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> right? Watch this. A few verses later, verse 38 says that John said to Jesus, and I think he was trying to get an attaboy, but he said, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop it. Because he wasn't in our group. <laughs> then Mark 10, verse 35, probably the best one, says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> and he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Permit one of us to sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. In other words, man, when you conquer the Romans, man, give us the seats of honor on your right and your left. Fast forward to verse 41, uh, basically news spread of what they were saying. And it says, when the other ten heard this, they became happy for them? No, they became angry with James and John. I'm convinced it's because they didn't ask first. Right? So these verses and others like them show how often these guys ran to relational issues that inevitably hindered their ability to walk in unity. In fact, I would go so far to say this, because of their pride and because of their insecurities, they consistently opened up the door for things like envy, jealousy, strife, and division to walk right on in. And that's where they live so often, right? So here's, here's kind of maybe the, the point that I want to make to you in this, is I think it'd be pretty easy for us to sit here today Knowing what we just read, roll our eyes at these dudes and just be like, their behavior, they're such knuckleheads. And at the same time, we forget that these same issues are still an underlying problem in the church today. Like, do we still, as believers who love Jesus, still not struggle to walk in unity? Yes. So, you know, when I look back, I think it's almost comical now, but... When I first gave my life to Jesus, I, I was one of those naive new believers, right? Like I thought Christianity meant that we were all just going to, you know, kind of sit around a campfire drinking sweet tea, right? Because uh, I'm from the South, right? That, that we were going to sing Kumbaya, that we were going to quote scriptures to one another, and then we're going to pray for one another. That life was going to be like that. Obviously, not really, but you get my point. What I really thought was this is that, man... That Christians always say and do the right thing. That's what I thought. Right? Like, I, I mean, like, why wouldn't a group of people who have passed from death to life, why wouldn't a group of people who are new creations of Christ Jesus, why wouldn't people who are called to be brothers and sisters in the family of God, why wouldn't people who treasure their relationship with God, those who have the mind of Christ, those who know that the life and death are in the power of the tongue, those who believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who believe that all scriptures God breathed, those who are praying and believing that the kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as in heaven. Like, why wouldn't a group of people who know all that to be true get along? Like, aren't we all just following Jesus together? Together? <laughs> So as you can expect, and maybe it happened to you, it didn't take too long for my misconception bubble to get popped, right? And I quickly realized uh, that the church is just as much as a hospital for those who are broken and wounded as it is a equipping center for those who are spiritually healthy and emotionally whole. Meaning this, that any Sunday morning, there's just as many, if not more, immature people walking through the door as they are mature people. Right? In fact, I believe we can all testify from our own experience 
that just because someone goes to church, it doesn't mean they're perfect and they got it all together. Can I hear a good amen on that one? So listen, is it possible to walk through the doors of the church and still bump into those who are not issue-free, who are not emotionally whole, and who are not relationally healthy? You bet. And see, so often people say, well, I'm not going to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Of course there is. Right? I'm like, hello. So, and I want you to know today that it's maybe even possible that you're the one that's walking through the door week after week, and guess what? You're not issue-free, and you're not emotionally whole, and you're not relationally healthy either. Amen? And so, listen, so that I'm clear, okay? Wherever you land on that spectrum, I want you to know it's okay. Like, it's okay not to be okay. As long as, somebody say, as long as. You know you're not okay, and you're willing to grow. When it's a problem is when you don't recognize it, and you think you're great, and it's everybody else's problem. That's the problem. Yeah? So if I can circle back around for a second, kind of where we started. You, you know, even though the disciples had a tough go at it for some years, the good news for you and I today is that they didn't end there. They didn't stay in that spot. So, like, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me because I need encouragement to know that we are moving forward, right? And so, like, if you can remember what took place in Acts chapter 2 for a moment, it says this statement that I think most of us just kind of cruise on by, but it says this in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, I think a lot of people read that and they go, well, that's just 120 people in a small, sweaty room. I think Jesus intentionally put that there because he's saying something else. Like, I think he's trying to tell us that, yes, these people are crammed in the room, but it really speaks to the heart of unity that they had. They were all together in one purpose, one mind, one accord, going, we're going in that direction. We're going for God. And do you all remember what happened next? The Bible says in the very next verse that the Holy Spirit fell that the tongues of fire lent upon each one of them, and they started speaking in tongues, right? The Holy Ghost fell on them. But we have to understand that, that what was the catalyst for the Spirit to move, they all had to come into unity first. Amen? So now with that in mind, have you ever sat back and wondered, like, what happened to this group of people? What happened in between them squabbling, arguing, and fighting like a bunch of third graders, Right? To being people who not only the fire fell upon, but now they carried that glory and carried that fire and they shook the world. Like, what happened? What was the catalytic moment that transferred them from there to there? I believe it's pretty simple. I think the Bible tells us in John chapter 13, it says this, and, and to maybe set it up for you, we, we know that this is the last evening that Jesus was hanging out with all of his disciples together, right? It's him and 12 dudes in the room. We know that they famously called this the Last Supper. We know that this is where he broke bread, drank wine. This is where we get communion. It's where he washed their feet, right? It's where he taught them servanthood. It's where he identified who would betray them. And we know that Judas left. When Judas got out of the room, the last 11 that were there, that Jesus knew they were going to follow him to the end of their days, he said this to them as the last lesson he would ever teach them. He said this in John 13, 34, 35. Says so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Here's the three words that all of us need to hear: love each other. I told you you knew this. 
love each other. How? Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Why? Because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Like, we need to get that today. Y'all understand that the world isn't going to see Jesus through us because we got a big house. Because we got money, because we drive a nice car, because we wear nice clothes, or we got some cool toys, or we got a, a great, you know, whatever, social people that we hang out with. We're pretty popular. We're pretty talented. Look at what I can do. None of that matters. The only thing that will help people figure out who God is and know that you're his disciple is your love. Jesus said it, not me. Amen? So I believe that the single key to unlocking unity in people's hearts, even ones as dysfunctional as disciples, even ones that are hard-headed sometimes as me and you, is simply this. It's love. Right? Like we grow. Please let me, let me get micro and go macro for you really quick. Like we grow in unity in our marriages. We grow in unity in our families. We grow in unity in the local church. We grow in unity in the regional church. And we grow in unity in the, the capital C, the worldwide church, by one thing. It's by learning to love each other in the same way that he loved us. So if we're here today, we're like, I want God to move in my family. Get unity. Get love. He'll move. Amen? So, once again, how do we uproot things like pride and jealousy and envy and strife and division? Because we all got it. Yes? We all got it somewhere there. How do we get that junk out of our hearts? Once again, we learn to love as we have been loved. You see, so often what I found is where we get hung up on all this is we keep waiting for all the stars to align, so to speak. Like, like we think if these people could just get their act together, if they could stop behaving in ways that we disapprove of, if they'd stop doing all of that, then I can love them. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. Y'all, please hear this. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Is that the way Jesus was with you? Did he wait for you to get your act together, start behaving right? No. The Bible says while you were still a sinner... Still an enemy of God, he died for you because he loved you. That's how he demonstrated his love, right? So let me give you a news flash today. Y'all ready? Hot off the press. It is you and I, man, we can't do anything about another person's behavior. Wife, hear me. Husband, hear me. Okay? Listen, we cannot do anything about anyone's behavior. As hard as it is to wrap our heads around it, man, God is the only one who can change the people around us. Okay? So in the meantime, what do we do? We need to remember, watch this, please, that we are not responsible for anyone else's behavior in our family, in this church, or beyond these four walls, we are not responsible for anyone's behavior, but we sure are responsible for ours. Right? And listen, and if Jesus tells us to love them like he loves us, then you know what we do? We got to do our best to obey. You had a fellow tell me today after first service, they said, he just walked in and said this, you know that's hard, right? <laughs> that's the understatement of the day. Yes, it's hard. That's why you got to dig into Jesus, get insulated in him. And if you dig into him enough, you'll become like him and you'll begin to love people. You can't do this in yourself. 
It's impossible, right? There's nothing in Quentin's self that can love people the way God wants me to love people. I have to get into him, get into with him, get a relationship with him, and let him move through me. Is that easy? No, because my flesh sure does like to show up. Amen? And so, listen, guys, unity will never work in your marriage, once again, your family, church, so on. Like, it will never, never, never work until you're willing, right, to do your part. Until you're willing to go the extra mile. All right, so listen, let me say this because I think it might be helpful to some of us. Um, I think if we could take a step back and remember all the things that he has loved us through. Y'all hear me? If we can remember all the things he has loved us through, and I, I don't know anybody's story in this room as well as I do mine, but man, I sure can remember uh, when the first day I walked into church, man, I mean, I was hurt. I was angry, right? I was resentful. I was broken. And I was just this insecure kid that said yes to Jesus because he moved in here, right? And without me really doing anything but understanding this, I don't understand the Bible. I don't know how to pray, but I know I need to keep showing up. And so I just stayed faithful at showing up at the church, and God began to do something without me asking, because I didn't even know I needed to ask. He began to surround me with several people that patiently loved me through my issues. He brought a man in my life named Ronnie, a guy named Dan, a guy named Mark, right? A guy named Pete, his wife Reba. Man, there was people like those guys in my first year of being a Christian that just looked at me, gritted their teeth, and said, I'm going to love him anyways. Right? And there's no doubt in my mind that I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for those people. I don't think I'd be walking with Jesus today if it wasn't for those folks saying, you know what? Yeah, you screwed up again, but you know what? I'm going to throw my arm around you, and we're going to keep walking in Jesus' direction. Amen? And so listen to me. So often, you, you know, us that are mature, we forget who we used to be, and we get our own little click, and we don't have time for everybody else that's dysfunctional. I'm trying to tell you today that there's people who are like me when I was that little kid who desperately needs you. So if we would open our eyes and say, Jesus, who is it? Show me. Show me who it is. I believe he'll begin to speak to you. And if you can, for a moment, not get caught up in the outside of what you see, but begin to go, God, give me eyes to see what you see. Give me ears to hear what you hear. Give me a heart to feel what you feel for those people because, Lord, it's, it's probably different than the way I see it. Amen? So if we can, man, can we just think for a moment internally about how patient, how kind, how gentle, how gracious, how merciful, and how forgiving God has been to us? And I think in turn, when we think about all that, man, it's like a really good reminder of what 1 John 4.11 says. It simply says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. What's he saying? Man, if God has done all that for you, then surely we should be willing to share it with others. See, the goal, one of the main goals of Christianity is not only to experience the Father's love, but it's to give it away to every person we meet. Like, we are not called to be just something that, that the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God gets poured into and it stops with us. No, there's supposed to be an outflow of our spirit, right, that touches other people. Though They know when we come by, man, there's something different about that dude, right? So, if you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, I hear you, PQ. Yeah, 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 great. But what about all that junk? 
What about all those things that those people do that gets on my absolute nerve? I'm going to give you a good verse. Okay? Because I ain't got anything to tell you, but Jesus does. Okay? 1 Peter 4, 7, 8. Because I have those same thoughts. <laughs> right? He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Just pausing for effect. It says, therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Watch this, verse 8. Most important of all, what does that mean? Above all else. Most important of all, the thing that you need to do, man, before this thing wraps up, is to continue to show deep love to each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Now, so I'm not misunderstood like I have been in the past. Like, notice it doesn't say love makes excuses for sins. It doesn't say love enables people to stay in sin. Okay? It's not what it says. Like, if you're in an abusive situation or whatever, right? Like, get out of it. Move on quickly. Right? But, but, but listen, if, if it's not that and you're just bumping into folks' weaknesses and people's shortcomings and your faults are hitting their faults and it's causing relational conflict and division, right, and strife and jealousy and all that stuff, right, then guess what? The godly thing to do is to just love them. Now, I can't speak for you, but, but I can tell you this. There have been times where I have been super, 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 did y'all get that? Super aggravated with someone's dysfunction and their unhealthy behavior patterns. And there's been many times I've been that close to saying, man, forget this guy, forget this gal. I don't need them in my life. I don't need all of that. All that junk that they're carrying, walking around like Linus with, ugh, right? I, I don't need all of that, right? And, and when I say, you know what, I'm done, right before I say I'm done, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. He simply says these words, Quentin, love them. And there's this amazing thing that happens when I say, okay, God, I'll do that, but I really need you to help me do that because I can't do it, right? There, there's this understanding that happens where he opens my eyes and I begin to see people basically of why they are the way they are. Y'all get what I mean by that? People are dysfunctional for a reason. And there's something about when you begin to understand the reason, there becomes this incredible exchange. Our judgment goes up to God, and what comes down is compassion and empathy, and we begin to see their value through Him. Right? right? That's amazing, and that helps us love people. So listen, from that point, really when you get to there, it boils down to this verse. Please hear this. I probably need to expound on this in the next couple of weeks. But it says in Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Look, as far as it depends on you, somebody say, as far as it depends upon me. Watch this. Live at peace with everyone. Listen, in my opinion, that's what happened in the hearts of those who made it the early church, that they chose peace. They chose love. They chose unity, right? They had to make a decision. That's why you, that's why you see basically in Acts chapter 2, I wish I had time to read it, but 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. Do you all think those 3,000 people got saved and instantly became perfect, issue free? 
No, they brought all their dysfunction in the church. And it says this in verse 42. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? And in fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. It says, signs and wonders begin to happen. And it says that they had all in common. Basically, they were in one accord. They sold their possessions, helped everyone who was in need. In other words, true unity happened, right? They praised God together. And this incredible thing happened. It gets down there about, I don't know, the late 40s in the verse. And it says this, it says in that people basically begin to be saved daily. That God added to the church daily. Why? How do they know that they're followers? It's love. All right, so let's close with this verse. If you're awake, say, oh yeah. yeah. Listen, there came a day, and we've talked about it several times over the past two months, where there came a day where a guy came and said, look, what's the greatest commandment? Right? Because we know in Jewish culture they had all these laws that everybody had to, to follow. They said, Hey, Jesus, what's the what's the top one that we need to pay attention to? And and how many of you guys know that Jesus didn't give him one, but he gave him two? Let's look at it together if we can. It says in Matthew twenty two. It says, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the point, guys? Is that these, these three verses tell us what's the most important thing to God. Y'all get that? The most important thing to God is not that your child goes to an awesome school or that you live in a great house or that you had a really good breakfast this morning. Right? Or you got X amount of money in your bank account. Like all these things that we get in the rat race to, to get all the time and consume us. Listen, that's not the most important thing to Jesus. The most important thing to him is that we love him passionately and that we love other people in an authentic way. That's the most important thing to him. And so instead of, how about us? making decisions instead of pursuing all that other stuff with all this effort and leaving about that much time for what's really important what would happen if we said you know what I'm going to master loving God not sure if that can be done but you get my point and let's master loving people like let's master loving the master and let's master loving his people amen see I believe that if we do that if we go okay let's go all in make a commitment not, not try to be right, but let's just try to love. If we can do that, man, we'll be blown away by the Spirit of God that will come and move in our families, move in our marriage, right? Move in this church. Am I making sense? Now, now, listen, I'm not saying that today because I know of anybody that's in dysfunction. I'm not saying this today because I think we're dysfunctional as a church. I think we're pretty healthy. But I just know this. There's always a greater measure to grow in love and unity with people. Amen? And sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.